Hey everybody, this is Patrick here holding down the fort while Jamie gets back from his European vacation. As you probably know, having listened to the show before, we've both been traveling quite a bit this summer, which has been great considering neither of us have gotten to do very much traveling at all during COVID. Uh, The only problem with that is we fell slightly behind on content, so we don't have a new shoulder of Orion to put out quite yet this week. We're getting right back to recording next week, but... In the meantime, we wanted you to have something to listen to, and so we decided, why don't we put out something from behind our uh, Patreon paywall? So we're releasing our frame rate from earlier this year that we recorded on Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which is a film directed by Daniels, and in my opinion, in my personal experience, still the best movie released all year. Uh, You can fight me on that if you want, but um, we hope you enjoyed this. If you want a lot more access to a lot more of these kinds of episodes, please go to bladerunnerpodcast.com slash support or look us up on Patreon. You will find uh, tons more content, including at a bare minimum two new episodes every single month, but often more than that. We do Frame Rate, like this, which is a film review show. We do Sublime Noise, which is a film score discussion, and, you know, there's a lot of technical stuff in that one, which is really fun. And we also do things like Shit Show, which is usually for Perfect Organism, but is a more humorous look at some of the movies that we talk about, and uh, other things, including, for example, a long play of an RPG that I'm going to be uploading pretty soon that uh, you'll find out a lot more about if you join our Patreon. So uh, please do consider signing up. And until then, have a wonderful summer for those of you in this hemisphere enjoying summer. And hey, if you don't have summer right now, have a great winter if you're Antipodian to us. And uh, we look forward to being back to our regular schedule programming soon. Thanks a lot, everybody. This is Framerate, brought to you by Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast, and Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner Podcast. Welcome to Framerate, your Patreon-exclusive film review show. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Green, here to talk about a very genuinely incredible film. And I mean that in the way the word, you know, the word incredible is very frequently misused by people because it really means like incapable of being believed, right? Um, everything Everywhere All at Once is about as close to an incredible film as I've ever mm-hmm. seen, I think. So I'm excited to talk about that today with you. I am too. I have, I've definitely been thinking a lot about, well, not a lot, but a bit about that film since I've seen it. It is a lot. The title is a perfect title for it. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to dig into it. It is. And uh, a quick side note, we have a couple new patrons who are going to be getting shout outs on the main shows as well. But because we for once have our shit together and are actually ahead of schedule, um, some of these episodes will be coming out for a little while. So just a special shout out to Eric Gordon and uh, Natasha Blockoff, who uh, joined Patreon recently. So thank you to Natasha and uh, Eric and everybody else who's joined. You'll be getting shout outs on the main shows. Just might be a little bit of uh, a little bit of time, but welcome to the family. Indeed. So uh, everything everywhere all at once is still playing in theaters. Is it still playing in theaters over by you? I think so. Yeah. It's, I, like I was looking house. it up today to get, you know, look up the character names and there's like showtimes going everywhere. It's making a, a ton of money. It's a 24's most profitable movie to date. Really? Yeah. Suppressing hereditary wow. uh, and also uncut gems, which is another wow fantastic movie that we should talk about. Uh, so it's doing really well in that regard. And it's also like, you know, knocking it out of the park critically. It's 95% Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. Um, 
So it's a movie that's really a success story, and it's directed by Daniels, who, uh, not to get deeply into this, but I have like a little miniature personal connection with because a, a friend of a friend is one of those two Daniels. And when he and his directing partner, Daniel Kwan, uh, this is Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan, when they were at Emerson College uh, at film school, they were working on this movie that they were working on all these you know digital shorts and things. And one of the things that came out of that was this movie starring Daniel Radcliffe yet another Daniel um, called Swiss army man. And uh, but before it was Fantastic Swiss army movie. man. Yeah. Right. Before it was Swiss army man, it was just this like joke idea that they had been batting around. And I, so I heard about it in when it was an idea being thrown around and my friend was like, you would love these guys. They're so creative and they have the most bizarre ideas. So I kind of wish I'd gotten to know them because they are incredibly talented. And that movie, which if people haven't seen Swiss army man, the movie is literally about, Daniel Radcliffe being a dead body that farts like a boat and Paul Dano as a grieving man who finds this dead body. And it's a, it's similar to everything all, all at once in that on the face of it, it's very funny. There's like a lot of potty humor, a lot of very adolescent jokes, you know, a lot of, you know, there's an everything bagel at the heart of every, everything everywhere all at once. A lot of stuff that's very funny outwardly, but what is underneath all that is like tremendously human storytelling. Mm -hmm. So Swiss army man, it's a movie that you go to see because it sounds so ridiculous and you cry in it and you're like, what the fuck? How am I crying about this? Everything everywhere all at once. I think similarly is a movie that plays up its strangeness a lot in terms of the advertising. Like a lot of the posters for it were super weird and the trailers didn't seem to make any sense, but you know, knowing how, good directors they were and knowing that you know michelle yao was in it or michelle michelle yo is it yo yo i yo. think it's yo yo mama uh michelle yo mama was yo, yo. <laughs> i was like <laughs> i definitely got to see this movie and i'm really glad i did yeah i am really glad i saw it as well it is a lot to take in there's a lot going on on its face uh, I mean, I think even on its face, it's a story about a family and about how families can connect with each other better and how families can um, better love each other and how life gets in the way and uh, what that means when life gets in the way and how distraction can get in the way of loving people. Uh, I think really that's heart, That's what it is at its heart. And it really spoke to me. And the, the more peripheral things, which you see in the trailer, the bigger moments, um, her be, uh, Michelle Yeoh's character being moved through different, uh, would you call those dimensions? What are those called? Multiverses. Multiverses. Yeah. Um, those are really great as she discovers who she is or who she could be. Um, if she didn't make the decisions that she made in her waking life, she discovers those multiverses of herself. And it's really, really great. She's faced with those options in at a, at a very um, defining moment for her and her family. And so again, I think the theater of the film is really only telling us what's going on in her head and in her heart. Um, things that are kind of things that pull all of us. Uh, I think we all in, in, um, in life live in multiverses in some ways where we have, we do this over here. We do that over here. We have our wife, we have our kids or we don't have our wife. We have our kids, we have our partner or whatever. And, um, all of us, we are always, at least for me, like, um, are we living up to our, our potential as people? 
Um, are we following our dream? Are we doing what we wanted to do when we were kids? Are we doing what we wanted to do when we went to college with, when we had stars in our eyes and our dreams were big and have those stars faded? And what does that mean? All of those questions to me, this film is just a series of questions. Um, is life good enough? Is, is, uh, are you content? Have you made the right decision? Do, are you living in regret? Are you treating the people you love as best you can. And I love that it was asking me those questions. I do too. And and before we go further, just a note for Blade Runner fans, James Hong is in this movie, which is fucking amazing to see him. Yep. He's in his nineties. He still looks great. And he does a, an incredible job. So if you want more chew, uh, definitely see everything everywhere all at once. I agree with you that the, the simple questions that it asks are questions that need to be asked more of ourselves. And I think that's kind of the point of the movie in a lot of ways is to interrogate your life and this moment that you're in and to see it for what it really is instead of what you wish it could have been. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's this, I'm glad you brought up childhood because there's obviously a hugely childlike nature to the film, but beyond that, I think kids are more intuitively aware of that multiversal fabric of reality than adults are because when you're a kid, days go on forever and you can imagine yourself doing all these crazy things. And you're just always in your imagination and taking adventures and thinking about all of these different lives you could try on. And when kids grow up, you know, like they see themselves as astronauts and presidents and knights in shining armor and princesses and all of these different crazy things and believe that, you know, in some deep intuitive way. And then as we get older, the the reality of life obviously sets in, but along with that comes this banality that a lot of us find ourselves butting up against. And so Evelyn, the, the central character in this, played by Michelle Yeoh, again, who I, is just one of the best, I, I mean, I, one of my favorite performances of anybody in recent years. I think she does an incredible job in the role. She's somebody whose life did not go in any of the ways that she had wanted it to go. But as it was happening, because it was happening slowly and piece by piece, she wasn't like taking stock of where she was. So all of a sudden, the beginning of the movie finds her being audited by the IRS and this failing laundromat that she's running that she clearly has zero passion for with her husband, who is in the process of trying to divorce her throughout much of the movie. Um, and with a daughter from whom she's becoming estranged because she can't accept her sexual orientation and she can't, you know, come to terms with that. And she's hiding it from her father who she feels is ashamed of her and all of these different things. Um, you know, Michelle Yeoh's Evelyn finds herself in a life that she doesn't recognize as hers. It's like, she didn't even know that this was the life she was living. And that's something that it doesn't matter who you are or how multiversal your reality is. Everybody experiences that, which of course is a big part of the movie as well, because we see her in other realities becoming incredibly successful. She's an opera singer at the Peking Opera. She's a famous movie star, which I love how they used her actual press tour footage from Crazy Rich Asians for that because mm-hmm. it's you know real. Um, we see her in all of these places where she could have been more quote unquote happy. And yet in all of these other universes, she's still jilted and she's still looking for resolution and looking for answers. And so was everybody else. And that's something that I really love about this movie is that although I agree with you, it really is the story of what's in her head and what her reality is. It's also this deeply empathetic look at how everybody that we're with is experiencing that too. Mm -hmm. So like the Ratatouille chef, which again is another stupid gag. Like it's a, it's an absolutely hilarious, ridiculous concept that there's an actual Ratatouille chef, but it's being played. He's being con- controlled by a raccoon in the movie instead of a rat. Cause you know, in Evelyn's story, Rekka, Rekka Kui, Rekka Kui or something. Yeah. 
um, that like that, which is like a stupid, stupid idea becomes so poignant because then we see what it means to, for him to be torn away from this raccoon and how actually unhappy he becomes and how he loses direction. The hot dog fingers reality, right? Which is probably the most ridiculous of all of them and is played <laughs> for great comedic effect through the whole film eventually becomes so fucking poignant because Deirdre, the IRS auditor who's been on her case the whole time is in a romantic relationship with Evelyn in that. And you know, we once we get over the laughing about the fact that they're trying to be sensual with each other with hot dogs batting around everywhere, we find <laughs> this like beautiful story about two people adapting to fill each other's holes and crevices and to like, you know, becoming symbiotically part of each other in a, a universe that's so, so different from the one that they actually inhabit. So there's this beautiful humanistic through line going through, which is that like everybody has holes within themselves. And not all of us take the time to be gentle with each other because of that and to be gentle with ourselves, that it's okay to feel upset about what your life looks like. And it's okay to feel frustrated with your inability to communicate with your daughter. It's okay to feel like you're falling out of love with your husband. Like you shouldn't hate yourself for that, but at least pay attention to the fact that it's happening because then at least you can do something about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I, I think what really strikes me about this film is that Evelyn wants to be seen for who she is. Like we all do. This is a story about a woman who wants to be seen, but she needs to be, she needs to see herself first. And she doesn't much like the opening of Blade Runner, both Blade Runner films, which of course we've discussed ad nauseum. Um, and we will continue to discuss. Um, we meet this woman named Evelyn, um, at a point in her life where she's kind of asleep at the wheel and she's bogged down by minutia. She's bogged down by what the IRS is requiring of her. And she thinks and she hears that her husband wants to divorce her, but not because he doesn't love her, but because he feels like the dynamic might be better. He He's completely in love with her. He just feels like it might be easier um, because he have, he has other anecdotes like, well, these people did this and this worked out for them. So he's thinking this is the best option. So her world is rattled completely rattled and she's also not seeing her husband she's not seeing herself she's not being seen but her husband sees her but she doesn't see him she doesn't really fully see her daughter because she's so distracted by her life and i think again that's a really great moral tale for all of us how distraction can really get in the way of our relationships how it can get in the way of loving ourselves and loving other people um and her being pulled into different uh multiverses awakens her not just a, oh this is a life that you could have lived these are lives inside of you these are lives that are still possible even at let's just say she's 62 in the film that's probably i don't know if michelle's in her yo's in her 60s yet but whatever um the film is really telling her how much is possible within her and that's really powerful it's it's not just this this story about loving people better. It's about finding out who we are and what we're capable of as people and how much magic we have as people. And again, she's awakened to that in these other universes or these other multiverses that she visits. And it takes a long time for her to find herself in this movie. A long time. It's frustrating. It's like, Come on, Evelyn, wake up, wake up. She doesn't believe it. That's another really interesting thing is you see her 
being taken into the closet, being taken here and there. And as much as she's experiencing it, she's still not believing it. She's like, well, I got to do these things. So I, I got to, you know, um, until that moment where much like the matrix or other films, Dune, she walks into who she is and she walks into what she's capable of. And then it becomes something more. And then you have moments where she's taken into a multiverse where she's alone with her daughter as a rock. And those are some of, that's one of the most poignant moments of the film. And I almost start crying in that moment just because here is this mother and their daughter and her daughter and their rocks looking out over this great expanse of the grand Canyon or somewhere. Um, and they're just having this conversation as rocks, telling each other how much they love each other, just as they are. Unable to really move, but being forced to see each other. And it was just beautiful. And again, this film, as as chaotic as it is, as um, manic as it is, it's also really beautiful. It's also really asking us to quiet all of that to quiet the chaos, to see ourselves, to see other people. Um, I don't know. It's a hard movie to watch, not because of the subject matter, but it's just so chaotic. So I don't, I'm not rushing to see it again, but it is, it is a must watch. Yeah. I'm glad you bring up the rock sequence. Cause that's my favorite part of the whole movie. And it, it's also Mike, cause that's something that we kept talking about because it does what Daniels do so well in that it presents this farcical, scenario right so you have evelyn chasing her what turns out to be her daughter who is joy in the in her you know actual home multiverse but in the multiverse of the movie is jobu tubaki who's this like all-knowing all-powerful evil entity and she's chasing her and you know going through all these multiverses and jobu tubaki doesn't want her mom to catch up with her because she just wants distance and she wants to be left alone and she wants to she has this deep nihilistic drive to just shut herself out and bring everything with her you know from from the which is a you know, I think anybody who's had depression, either themselves or in their family, know what that feels like. Um, and she chases her and refuses to relent. And in doing that, not only finds herself again, but finds her daughter. And she really does it on that cliffside when they're rocks. And everybody in the theater obviously laughed because it was so cute. And it had all those, those you know, the eyes that Wayman puts onto all of the objects in the laundromat to make them look happy on mm-hmm. the rocks. And it's funny and there's no dialogue because rocks can't talk and it's just typed out on the screen uh, like a children's book. But as that's happening, I'm like processing all of these things. Like for example, Joe Butabaki tells her mom, or I'll say joy. Cause I think at that point she's joy tells her mom that most of the multiverses don't have life in them. Right, that this is actually the way most places look, because life itself is such an extraordinary miracle. It's like such an improbability that in all of these, you know, infinite years she spent traversing the multiverse, she has barely found other ones that have life in them. And in this one, everything's just rock. Um, and then as they're having that exchange back and forth, and it's typewritten on the screen, it's so like like any parent. And child will recognize the dynamic because like, you know, Evelyn is on on Joy's case about swearing and she goes language and italics, you know, and then Joy like talks back and then Evelyn drops an F-bomb and they both laugh about it, you know, and, and but it's all being typed out. And it's just this moment of like an incredible parent to daughter connection that in any other movie I can think of wouldn't land the way that it does in this. But because we are so disarmed and disoriented and so overloaded 
those moments of stasis like that are, I mean, it was incredible seeing that in a theater. And again, if you haven't, if you haven't seen this yet, stop listening and go watch it and then come back. But if you, if you're watching it at home, cause it is available at home now, try to get it in the theater while you can, because seeing it with other people to me was very powerful. The theater, we all laughed together at the beginning of the rock sequence. And then as it played out, we were silent. And the movie is also actually silent for like minutes on end during that. Yeah. It's got to be like a good six minute. Yeah. And it's just this beautiful exchange where and our theater was completely full. So we're surrounded by people in silence, looking up at this thing together and everybody's crying because it's so beautiful. And it's just, um, it's a really communal moment in that film. The, the, the way it feels to watch it to me, doesn't feel um, too overwhelming because honestly, it feels kind of like the way I perceive much of the world anyway, which has been problematic in my life, but this movie really spoke to me. It's part of why I love David Foster Wallace too, is his writing is similarly, it's kind of all over the place. So I I found it very comforting, actually, the rhythm of the film and the fact that it was so free associating and jumping. I I really just, it felt like I was on a trip and I just like wanted to see what what came next. So I'm excited to watch it quite a bit more. Honestly, I think it's a, it's really great. I also just want to point out another moment that hit me extremely hard. And I know it's hit other people hard too, because everybody who I ask, I mean, like, I think without fail, if I've spoken with people about the movie, they bring this line up is in the universe where, uh, where Evelyn became a, a Kung Fu action star and she's at the movie premiere and Waymond is her, uh, you know, very dashing, uh, separated partner. They had, a, you know, some love affair 20 years ago or something. And then, they just they're sharing that quiet moment in an alleyway and it's very blade runner and the rain is falling beside them and they're just sitting there with smoke wafting um and they have that beautiful heart to heart that goes from through much of the second third of the film and um and then of course swayman says you know in another life i would love to be doing laundry and taxes with you hmm. and it's just and it's a moment where you have these two beautiful successful people living these interesting lives and like they're the ones pining for something as simple as sitting you know at an irs audit holding the hand of the person they love and not having to be ashamed or to hide it. And those moments, like the reason they don't play is corny. Cause, cause that, I mean, think about that in like any other movie, it would feel like a cheap romantic comedy moment. It would feel like, oh, of course. Oh, wow. Oh, how, how impressive they actually do wish they could be together. But in this movie, because we've traversed all of these realities with her, the simplicity of a moment like that just hits so incredibly hard. And it's worth noting that the VFX team, do you know how many people are on the VFX team for this? Nine. Really? None of them went to school for visual effects, including the directors. They they did this all with tutorials on YouTube, which is fucking wild, but it also took them years and years to make the movie. But like, I mean, the effects are incredible in this movie, Mm -hmm. the slow motion sequences that go throughout the confetti, the butt plug fight, the, like the black hole sucking everything into it, the temple of the, of the bagel, like these sets that are just so fantastical and so beautifully assembled were really just crafted lovingly by a small group of friends who just had this vision for this film. Um, So I think part of why I love this movie so much is because it does something that movies like very, very rarely do anymore, which is it's a movie that was released widely in theaters by a studio that does do independent films, but does them at a pretty big scale, like they're mainstream movies. And yet it is a movie that like is completely disregarding conventions and jumping between every genre you can imagine and just doesn't give a fuck if people aren't keeping up with it because that's not really the point. The point is the deeper story under all of that. And it's doing all of these wonderful bucking conventions that to me, like 
when I look back at movies like being John Malkovich or the matrix or a lot of like late nineties films, like that was the golden era for movies like that. Um, Magnolia, another example of one. And then it kind of stopped and we became a lot more afraid of taking risks like that. And a lot of those risks shifted to streaming television. And we see things like that now in things like Legion, for example. Right. But, um, but like movies very rarely look and feel like this anymore. They Mm -hmm. very rarely feel like they don't give a fuck. And in not giving a fuck, they give every fuck in the world, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of abandoning any, any worries about making money and any worries about everybody getting it. And just seeing a vision all the way through for the sake of finding what art can do it was so refreshing to me. And last thing I'll say about that is, is it felt important to see it with other people because I needed to see a movie like this in public, you know, after, especially after going through COVID and after being so isolated for so long and being there with my wife and holding her hand in these sequences that were very emotional, surrounded by other people, watching art happen and having visceral, deep reactions to it felt like, uh, I don't know, like that's the point. Like we've spent so much of the last two and a half years, three, however fucking long, I don't even know how long it's been, two and a half years, um, seeing most, for many of us, seeing mostly just the screens in front of ourselves, mm-hmm. like being mostly on our phones or on our laptops and doing zoom calls and you know we are getting breaks from that now increasingly thank goodness but like for mo- most of us like reality itself was something that didn't feel singular anymore and we saw that with the january 6th insurrection right you have a whole group of people living in an alternate reality that they've we see that with the QAnon people who are still showing up convinced that a kennedy is going to rejuvenate from the dead and come and free them from you know whatever is going on like there are people living in multiversal realities now mm-hmm. because of their isolation, because they've mm-hmm. escaped into them. And so many of us have people like that in our own families. Like I have people in my extended family that I am afraid to talk to at any given length because I just know it's going to go off the rails at some point and I'm going to feel sad about it. Not like mm-hmm. I'm going to be angered. I'm going to feel sad because I miss when this person didn't need to talk about these things all the time because the reality that they're currently stuck in is one that's like so hostile and confused and upset and afraid. So getting to watch a movie with other people that uh, that like paid paid due to that where it like it did it recognized that there are different realities and that we are living in these vastly different places but that even at the greatest extent of that there's there's fundamental small human truths mm-hmm. that stay no matter what mm-hmm. and that those true if we can hew to those things if we can break through all of these divisions between us and we can just see each other as people again we can hold each other's hand and look each other in the eye and recognize the simple beauty of just having the ability to do that of being in a universe where there is life and where that life has led us to this moment where we can hold hands together and talk. Mm -hmm. If we can just like acknowledge for one fucking moment, what a miracle that is, then like maybe we can actually get out of this. So it spoke to me in a very direct human way also. And and it continues to, the more I think about it. As, as it did me for sure. I, I I am also someone who free associates. I, I can be a random and you know this about me. All of a sudden I'll bring something up because that's just kind of how my brain works. Certainly as a creative, as you can fully appreciate, that's, you're kind of like, Oh, 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 you know, um, I am like that as a person, but it's harder for me to process that because I'm very, um, sensitive uh, visually and orally, um, or aud- audibly. Um, I'm not orally sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but that's oral. <laughs> that's another word too. Um, so it's a lot as someone who is so sensitive visually and audibly, it's a lot to take in. But again, I think the shining, the story that shines through from this film is powerful and it makes me, well, first of all, when we've talked about this before, I think maybe on some recent episode in terms of what it means to listen to each other. And I really feel like everything everywhere all at once is about learning to listen, learning to listen to when people are talking, listen to what they're saying, listen to their body, see their body language, hear them fully, but it starts with ourselves. And uh, anecdotally to this, so, of course, in the film, Evelyn's daughter, who I can't remember her name, is it Joy? Joy, yeah. Um, she is a lesbian, but you can tell the family's uncomfortable with it. At least Evelyn's uncomfortable with it. The husband seems to be fine with it. Um, but Joy's... Joy being seen by her mother is very important. Not just for as her daughter, but as who she is as a person. Um, seeing herself and... or being seen by the woman who carried her and raised her. So about a year and a half ago, I went to go pick up some mail at my folks' house. They lived at the time about 33 miles east of me, and uh, their mail was in their bedroom. They, of course, the master of the house that they were renting at the time. They just purchased a house, purchased a house recently. Um, and I went in the bedroom to get the mail, and my mom comes in. She goes, can we talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, oh, no. Um and she says, sit down, sit down. So I sit down in the chair and they, and my mom sits on her bed and she calls my dad. She goes, honey, come in here, come in here. And my dad comes in. I'm like, oh, great. What, what is this about? Um, because, you know, I might be a grown up, but I'm still their kid. You know what I mean? And you still feel like that around your parents, like their kid. Um, and my mom starts talking to me and she goes, you know, we, I, you know, we, We've always wanted to do what's right. And, you know, sometimes I've just gotten so wrapped up in my religion and what I think is right and doing things the right way. And she goes, you know that we love you and we know that we um, have always loved you. She goes, but we also haven't really fully seen you with your sexuality. And she goes, we just want to let you know that we see you for who you are and we love you. And we're so proud that you're our son. Um, and that, so, and there's a similar moment in everything everywhere all at once where the joy, where joy is being seen for the first time. And it's powerful. I can't tell you what that's like to be seen by your parents for who you are fully. Um, and for even for parents who are accepting, it's, it's a hard thing for them to kind of get over and straight people don't really go through this, you know, um, it's very singular to being part of the LGBT community. And I don't even really fully associate myself with the LGBT community in terms of like, I'm defined by my love for movies, who I am, all of those things, my podcasts, my knowledge of whatever of Enya. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to, but this, it was a really true thing to be seen, to have someone look at you and say, Hey, yes, I know that you're gay. And we love you for it. We think it makes you who you are, and it's wonderful. It's so powerful. Um, I'll never forget that moment for as long as I live. Um, I will never forget. And a lot of people do not have that pleasure. A lot of people do not experience that with their parents. Tons of people do. A lot of people don't. Uh, so for me, everything, everywhere, all at once really brought it home in terms of 
how powerful family is, uh, what it means to be seen by your family, what it means to be, because yes, you can grow up and get married and have kids. Um, tons of people do that all the time. Um, but what's your relationship like? Are you listening to them? Are you hearing your children, even as a young, even when they're young, are you seeing them as uh, autonomous beings or are they just your children or are they just your things? Um, so everything everywhere all at once, um, is a powerful lesson in what seeing your loved ones is like and what loving them for who they are is like. And, and what loving yourself is like too, I think, because yes. what's so important about that sequence, there's many things important about that sequence between Evelyn and Joy that you're talking about at the car when she's leaving. Um, but uh, one of my favorite parts about that is that Evelyn acknowledges that she's kind of struggling anyway, that like she, of course she accepts her daughter for who she is and she's feeling bad because she knows that she's kind of not doing a great job and that she's still annoyed by some things, but she's working on it. Mm -hmm. And like, at the end of the day, that's, that's all we can ask of any of us, you know, is that like, at least we're working on it. Like at least Mm -hmm. we're, we're seeing ourselves and each other at at our best. I mean, and I say this as a parent, like the the, uh, many nights, especially lately, because my kids are at ages that are a little bit, you know, they're not difficult in the way teenagers are difficult, but they're both in different ways, pushing that sort of independence button mm-hmm. quite a bit. And, you know, so it's a, it's a pretty frequent thing that is like a parenting challenge where you're trying, trying to figure out like what kind of, you know, independence is acceptable, whereas what things do they need to learn? Like what lessons do I need to make sure they're still kind of getting through all of this, you know? And there's been a lot of nights in the last couple of months where I've gone to bed feeling like, fuck, I feel like, you know, I missed, I didn't, I didn't get it right. You know, and I had a conversation with Jude the other night where I, when I was putting him to bed, where we just, it just was one of those nights that was kind of hard. And there had been sort of a fight that I, I wasn't actually in, but, um, you know, others in our family were in. Uh, and also we had a death in our family recently. So that's been kind of weighing on all of us. And it's been making things a little more complicated. Um, not in our immediate family for those listening, but, but in my wife's family. Um, and, uh, and I know that's coming out in different ways for all of us and that we're all sort of dealing with that in different ways. But I think the kids are dealing with it by misbehaving more and being more deliberately kind of destructive with their environment, you know? And, uh, so the kids went to bed and, you know, Micah went downstairs and I was getting ready to go downstairs too. And then I noticed that Jude was still awake and I kind of like held his hand in the darkness for a minute. And I was like, I was like, do you want to have kids someday? And he was like, yeah, I think I probably do. And he was like, I want you to know that being a parent is really complicated. And sometimes we think we know what we're doing, but honestly, we don't. And I'm sorry for those times that I don't get it right. And I want you to know that I'm still trying and I'm still trying to learn. And that like, none of this is for anything but love. You know, even when things go haywire, it's coming from a place of love. And I'm sorry that I'm not getting it right all the time. Um, and I want you to remember that when you have kids that you need to be gentle with yourself and to not hate yourself if you get things wrong. I, I was saying, I literally was saying all this. I talked to him like he's a grown up, as you know, you know, and I was, and he was like, thanks dad. That really means a lot. You know, and then he went to sleep, but it's moments like that where, where you realize the incredible fallibility that we all carry at the heart of ourselves and how much, how much we kind of fuck up in our lives, mm-hmm. you know, that we're really ultimately bumbling around quite a lot in the dark. But the beautiful reality is that like, we're all doing that, you know, we're all just doing what we can and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with fucking up as long as you're able to see it for what it is and to learn, you know, of course there's some things you can't come back from, but that's not what we're talking about tonight. Um, 
So I guess my, my final thoughts on the movie are that I'm so grateful it exists because it gives us room to think and meditate and talk about things like this in the first place, because these are things that are very, very easy in the quotidian reality that we find ourselves in every day where we are waking up at roughly the same time and doing the same set of tasks and then doing the same set of tasks to get ready for bed and then get them going to sleep and then waking up. And then if it's a weekend, then maybe that's a little bit different. But by and large, our lives are really just repeating small cellular patterns, right? And it takes art to shake us from that sometimes. Um, I also want to say for people, this is water, which is I brought up on the shows a couple of times. And Jamie, as you know, is, is very important to me. It's a commencement address that David Foster Wallace, the author I brought up earlier, delivered. Really, is is about this. It's about like looking around and realizing that we're all swimming in water, and we don't really realize it. And you know, if you realize that other people are doing that too, you have a lot more empathy for them. And I, so I'm saying that personally, I'm pushing myself to be better about that and to stop getting in the way of my ability to see other people for who they really are more. And um, this is a movie that's like helping me on my journey to doing that. So I think I'm just incredibly grateful that it exists. I also think the score is really good. We didn't even talk about that, but the, there's a trio that composed the score. Maybe we'll do a sublime noise at some point. Um, I think the cinematography is great. The pacing is so interesting because the second third of the film is so long and so intense. And the whole time, you know, that because it was chapter one, everything chapter two, everywhere, you know, there's an all at once coming and you're like, how long can this movie be? Yeah. It's a long right? movie. It is long, but then you find out that that final third is just this beautiful little period at the end of the sentence. It's just this wonderful little, like it's what actually happens in that morning. And they share, like, I love how Evelyn and Waymond share a moment together. That's kind of romantic, you know, and that like he still has his fanny pack and his chapstick and they go in they and they see Deirdre and they do it. Also, Jamie Lee Curtis being in this movie, she does such an incredible job with it. We get to see short round back again, which is amazing. Th that actor uh, whose name is Kate Kihoi Kwan. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that um, does. I mean, Wayman is like talk about another just incredible character The the layers that he brings to that performance, how believable he makes it that he's both this meek, you know, kind of beaten down, but still fundamentally optimistic Wayman character, but he's also the alpha Wayman who's like this incredible secret operative and he's a movie star and, he's, and he just fits into all of these roles so fluidly that you almost forget it's all one guy doing all of that stuff. The stunt work is incredible. And then of course you have Michelle Yeoh at the heart of it, just giving this performance that is so full of heart and love and wonder and depth. And um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a, good movie it is really a great movie and I, I i can't recommend it highly enough i honestly don't even remember the music the visuals are so musical themselves i don't remember what the score was um but yeah definitely see it it's it's worth every minute <laughs> 